Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. We provide full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with new developments in arboriculture. Today's talk is by Jeremy Barrell, Managing Director of Barrel Tree Consultancy based in Southern England. He has designed the SULE and TREEAZ methods of tree assessment used for construction site management. This podcast features his talk on liability, negligence, and acts of God, the emerging position on tree hazards in England. This talk was originally presented at the ISA International Conference in Parramatta, Australia in July 2011. It's great to be here uh, and uh, I'm quite relieved there's some people here. The problem you've got with concurrent sessions is that you've got some great speakers against you and you could end up with about five people and it's a long way to come to talk to five people. So I'm really grateful you're here. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, the uh, subject I'm going to talk about today is complex and there's lots to it. And so rather than you have to panic and worry about um, uh, taking it all down and getting notes, uh, what I've done is there's a fairly extensive and detailed paper that's in the CD and these conference proceedings are great for that. So uh, the way to do it is uh, just sit back and uh, just see what you can take in from what I'm going to go through. And I'm going to throw out lots of ideas and it may not all make sense. But if there's anything that you really need to know more about, then the, uh, then the CD is great. You can go into it. There's a paper there which has got about 20 pages of really detailed explanations which will all sort of uh, give you an insight into the ideas that um, I'm putting forward. Uh, and there's quite a few uh, new ideas that are going to come here. I haven't uh, done this talk uh, to anyone before, so, uh, so there's some new stuff and some stuff that uh, hopefully will make you think and uh, uh, give a few people uh, something to think about quite carefully. Um, so uh, let's just get, make sure that we're working. And uh, there we go. That's okay. Um, as a uh, consultant in England, I spend a significant uh, amount of my time um, advising uh, people on, uh, on uh, tree safety hazard management. And most of it, although I do speak to private tree owners, so the smaller ones, most of it's on a strategic level. So from a policy point of view, uh, trying to work out how you manage populations of trees and also uh, how it's approached from the duty holder's perspective. Uh, and it was quite interesting to see Judy's talk there on the different terms that are used around the world. And in, in the UK, we use duty holder, who's the person that has the legal responsibility, but it's called the tree keeper 
uh, in uh, in Queensland, and uh, and that's quite a neat uh, way of putting it. But uh, duty holders, the the phrase that I'll be using from here. Uh, while I'm talking to you. Now, in that role, I go out, I look at trees, I visit people, I talk to them. And one of the commonest question, uh, questions that crops up is if it all goes wrong, if the tree falls down, uh, someone's harmed, uh, there's injury to someone, or, uh, or there's uh, damage to property, uh, how much do I have to have done? What should we have done to make sure that we're not going to uh, be dragged into court to be found negligent and actually to be held liable for the consequences of that? And that's, a, uh, that's, that's something which all of us uh, are quite rightly um, concerned about. The, the, the really interesting point about that question from an arborist point of view is that actually it's got nothing to do with trees. The people that you talk to really aren't that interested in trees. We are, but they're not. What they're interested in is just making sure that they do enough to make sure they don't leave themselves exposed uh, to being uh, vulnerable if it goes to court. Um, what they want to know, what the duty holder wants to know, is what are society's expectations on the person who has the responsibility, which is expressed through the courts. What are the expectations on how far, how much they should have done? And this question of how much management is enough management is of fundamental importance to the duty holders because they must, they need to know that answer or they need to know the answer to that and also to us as arborists uh, advising them. Um, the other uh, interesting point about all of this is that although it's a very simple question uh, on the face of it, there's actually no simple answer. It's so complex and it's so difficult to get a definitive answer on any of these uh, issues that uh, it, it, it's, it's a dilemma. It's a dilemma for the duty holder because as the person responsible, you really want to know what you have to do. And there are questions which crop up uh, regularly um, that, uh, that, that you're asked, I'm sure, frequently, and duty holders uh, are, are keen to know the answers to. And they really relate to the management regime that you've got in place for your trees. What do you have to do? And the one that crops up uh, quite commonly is, well, how often do I have to inspect my trees? Do I have to even inspect them at all? Do I have to expect them, inspect them every year, every five years, every ten years? And that's quite a valid uh, question to ask, and yet actually a really tricky uh, answer to find. Um, the other thing that crops up uh, regularly is, um, you know, what's the nature of, of the inspection? What what's necessary in terms of detail? Is, do the trees even need inspecting at all? Is a quick visual check going to be enough? Or do I need to go in and do some more detailed investigations which all start to cost more money? So that's another issue which uh, is really difficult to find the answer to. Um, and finally, the competence of the inspector. How much uh, expertise does the person inspecting the tree need to have? And this is relevant uh, when you have individual homeowners who haven't got much money, so the resources are limited. Can they actually inspect the trees themselves? Is that acceptable? Or do they have to pay for a specialist to come in? And how competent, how much, how, what credentials do those specialists have to have? These are all uh, questions that uh, constantly crop up and are actually really tricky to answer. And uh, I think this talk today is, is really uh, my a sort of um, a summary of my quest to really try and answer some of those questions uh, because they were cropping up regularly and I was finding it really difficult to actually provide comprehensive answers. Um, and uh, the focus of, um, 
of what I'm going to say today, or the focus of all of this, is on experts. And uh, the strength of experts is that they know about detail, uh, and, and that's a great strength, because uh, whereas a layperson would see a defect on a tree and uh, just see the surface, the experts, if they're really good, will know about the structural uh, the, the structure on a microscopic level and they'll be able to relate that to how that can affect the levels of risk. And if the expert's really good, then they'll be able to come up with uh, various explanations and one of those uh, most likely is going to be that, well, the level of risk, uh, the chances of something going wrong, uh, is a function of a number of uh, elements and uh, probability of failure. So how likely is the, bit to f you know, is the tree to fall to bits is a key issue. Multiplied by the size of the part, how big it is. Apparently, the bigger it is, the more harm it can cause. So that's uh, a relevant uh, factor as well. And multiply that by the number of targets, how many people are around, what buildings are there. And you can actually come up with uh, an estimate of the risk of harm. And if you're a really good expert, then you'll quantify uh, those elements and you'll put figures to them and you'll start to make it more complicated and it'll get so complicated that nobody understands it. And that's when you know you're right at the top of the tree, when it's so complicated, nobody else can understand it. And uh, I've seen, I've been looking at some reports in the last few days and I can tell you they are so complicated. Four or five pages of detailed calculations and you just know that these people have got it nailed, they know what they're talking about, it's so complicated even I couldn't understand it. So you know, you know, this is the way uh, to do it. Um, but as, with, as in life with many of these things, um, uh, one of the greatest strengths of, of experts also turns out to be one of their weaknesses. Because while the experts have been obsessed with the detail, what happens is that they actually miss the wider picture. And uh, that seems to be what's happened in the world of risk management, certainly um, from, from where I've been looking at it. And this is the Palace of Westminster where uh, the, uh, all our laws in the UK, one way or another, are, are made and processed. And what risk management has seems to have failed to do in the UK uh, is to take account of the broader framework, the broader landscape that, uh, that risk uh, should be set into. Because if it does go wrong, it's not the tree experts that are going to make the decisions on what's reasonable and who's going to be liable. It's the law that's interpreted by judges and by the courts. Now, that's uh, where we are. The, uh, one of the, uh, uh, one of the um, I suppose, one of the emerging uh, concepts uh, uh, is it, certainly from a figures point of view, is that uh, the threshold for action is 1 in 10,000. So if the risks are less than 1 in 10,000, 1 in 20,000, 1 in 30,000, you don't have to do anything. If they're greater, then you should do something. And I think that what seems to have happened, and I'm one, this is really interesting, is that the experts have been so obsessed with the detail that they've missed the wider picture, especially in this area. And uh, they've missed something. And... Uh, everybody ought to be concerned about it uh, and all the experts have missed it as well because this hasn't been looked at in a broad enough context and set into context. Um, so in order to, this is the, the High Court uh, in London, it's a fairly intimidating place. If you go to London, uh, it's just a great place to go to because the public can go in there, you have to go through there, There's a, it's like going through uh, into an airport, they have security and you have to uh, uh, you're fleeced and, uh, um, and you have to um, 
Uh, every, you have to go through a scanner and stuff like that. And one case I did, uh, which uh, I don't do personal uh, inj injuries at work anymore, but I, 10, 12 years ago I did one, and it was about a protester uh, who'd, been, who'd fallen out of a tree, his rope was cut and he fell out of a tree, and he was being intimidated by, by somebody else with a chainsaw. And uh, to try and demonstrate to the judge, because we wanted to win this one, uh, how intimidating a chainsaw would be, I actually took a chainsaw in there. And you can imagine how tricky that was getting through security, because <laughs> it was. And uh, what we did was, in the end, is I whipped the chain off, obviously, didn't take the chain in, because that would just have been too tricky. And I think I, I put it together in front of the judge and just sort of tried to illustrate the point. And it would have been great if I could have dared to start it, but, <laughs> but I didn't do it. And, uh, and we lost the case as well, so it doesn't always work. But this is a, this, <laughs> this is a great case. Uh, this is a great place to go to because the public can go in there. And some of these courts are so archaic, they're sort of almost like this, but they're sort of very hierarchical and the judge is up there right on one of the top sort of ornately carved uh, oak, uh, dark stained oak. Uh, chairs or thrones, and then all of the, the sort of subsidiary people are down below, but that's beside the point. Anyway, so a great place to go to if you get a chance. But, uh, but the point here um, is where does the story start? It starts quite a few years ago as all of these things, and it's been a gradual process. This hasn't been something that, that I've worked out over the last uh, few, uh, you know, year or so. Um, I started uh, contracting, so cli I was a climber in 1980, that was when I started in 1995. I, sold that and uh, just concentrated solely on consultancy. So I used to do odd legal cases and occasionally go to court. And you just don't do many. It's really tough to get legal cases and to, to go and do these things. So you learn by experience and it's a real struggle. And so over time, so from 95 was when I first started and then I did a few uh, and, and you get more and more as you you get better known, I suppose, and get better contacts. And now we're at a position where um, I probably do, I suppose it's interesting because people don't really know how many cases you do, but I do probably about 10 a year, so I don't do lots of cases, um, but that's enough, and probably out of those 10, and this is relevant, is that you only ever go, uh, only ever get to court probably in one or two of those, so you don't ever get to court very often, and I think this is why uh, this has been missed, why this, this fundamental factor has been missed, is because people experts just don't get to court very often and they don't see how it works and they don't get a good feel for how judges make decisions and, and how it all goes. Um, so anyway, in that sort of 10 or 15 years of experience of doing that, of writing reports, of thinking about it carefully, of seeing, getting, going into courts and into the high court and seeing how judges think and how the lawyers handle it, uh, and it was really quite difficult because I really found it hard to sort of balance on one side what the experts within the, the, the tree industry, the tree profession were saying and, what, and how the courts were actually interpreting that. And, and there was a mismatch and I just couldn't quite get it all together. And there were two things, I mean there's others, but there's two main things that caused me concern, serious concern really. Um, one of them relates to uh, trees causing damage to buildings on, on uh, reactive soils, so clay soils in the UK. In London, there's lots of clay, and it's a big deal. Um, and uh, it, for those of you who don't know, 
clay soils shrink uh, as water sucked out of them and expand as they re-wet. And if you have a building, and tree roots uh, make that effect go down quite deeply, so one to two meters they can go down. And you can have these soils shrinking in a 3D way. And, uh, and the, uh, if you've got a building founded in them, then that starts to cause serious damage. And it starts to add up to hundreds of thousands of, of dollars, pounds. And uh, it's, it's big business. So I was dealing with... Um, these cases, and this is what it looks like on the ground, um, is that many of the streets in London uh, have really mature planes, um, or quite big planes that have been there for 80 or 100 years, uh, that have been pollarded and cut back on a regular basis. And the issue is, is that there's a tree there sucking, uh, supposedly, allegedly, uh, causing damage to a property there, and uh, the, you go to court and the issues are, uh, is the tree causing a damage, and if so, uh, who pays the, the owner of the tree in the end? And what was, what was that's the, the mechanism, I don't do these cases anymore, but this is just gives you an insight, or, or provided me with a bit of an insight into how the whole um, scenario was working, is that the, there are tens of thousands of relationships, if not hundreds of thousands of relationships in, throughout London and throughout the UK where there are trees close to buildings. And it's a very, very small proportion of those, uh, those situations, those relationships where damage actually occurs. So there's clearly a low level of risk of harm arising. And we tried, I work for the tree owners, the local authority, this one's in Brent, but I work for a couple of others as well on a regular basis. And the courts, when we got into court, we were running this argument, look, you know, this doesn't happen very often. It's, 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 it's hard to foresee, uh, or you, it's hard to say or to justify that this is reasonably foreseeable. And actually, what was happening was we were getting thrashed every time. The homeowners who had the damage were being found for by the courts. And the judges, I mean, one judge said to us, well, as far as I'm concerned, is if, if, it's a, if the tree's big and it's near the house, it's the cause of the problem. And that is quite demoralizing if you're trying to do the best for trees. And what it meant was, I mean, the point to draw out of this is that actually the courts, although they're interested in level of risk, it's not the most important thing and they're interested in other things as well. Um, so the level of risk is not actually the prime determinant when you get into court and that's the key point. Uh, well, that's the way it seems. Now, if we move on, and this is an interesting image, uh, and I have quite a few like this, um, where uh, the part of the, the, I suppose, the central thrust of, of risk, assessing the risk of harm, is the size of the part. And what I'm finding is if, well, if you have, if, if the, this issue or this idea of the, the, the bigger the part, the more the harm, uh, was right, then very small branches you wouldn't expect to crop up very often in legal cases. And what I'm finding is probably in 30 or 40% of the cases, branches that are no bigger than two, three inches, so, uh, so 10, 15 centimeters, six inches, but uh, uh, are actually causing significant harm. And uh, that didn't tie in either because these are branches which actually you'd probably dismiss under the normal scheme of things as being very low risk and not actually uh, getting to the threshold where action is required. So there were these, this is just two of the, the sort of areas that I was seeing where it just didn't seem to quite add up. 
And, uh, and I thought, right, well, you know, this is really difficult because as a consultant and advisor, you know, my job is to try and explain these things to people. And it just didn't seem to be there. The satisfactory explanations weren't there. And what I, the, the, way, the best way to try and do this, and I'm going to go through it broadly and just try and pull out a few ideas to give you a, a feel for it, but you need to go to the paper to get the whole lot, is that actually where we are from the duty holder's point of view, there's been plenty of uh, attention to this from the tree, the arborist point of view and from the tree point of view, so how you do inspections, all of those sorts of things. There's been very little sort of looking at this uh, from the duty holder's perspective. And uh, I was just trying to think about how to explain it and how to describe it. And really, this landscape, the framework that we're working in, uh, with the legal issues and, and, and the trees and everything else. It's like a landscape. And you uh, are at one side, uh, the, the duty holder's there, thinking, how on earth am I going to get across to the other side? And home is where I've done enough and I'm going to be safe if it all goes wrong and the tree fails. And what this duty holder has to do is to try and negotiate themselves through that landscape. And there are numerous obstacles and conundrums that you have to think about and consider when you're going or trying to cross this landscape to get to that safe place where you've done enough. And remember, we're trying to answer that question of how much is enough. And uh, so um, there's a whole range of things that we need to think about. And one of them, which we know a lot about, and the focus is always on that, is actually the trees. So we need to know about the trees and the, the way trees work and the way they behave. But actually, as you'll notice as the diagram progresses, this is a very small uh, element of the bigger picture. And that's what we've missed. There's lots more out there that's much more important than the trees, that's for sure. Um, there's the way the courts work. So in civil law, uh, what the expectation is, uh, uh, what the legal expectation is, and that's uh, something that we need to think about, and actually uh, risk management has not been set in that context uh, satisfactorily. There's also criminal law, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's another thing that you need to think about because the, the criminal elements actually do feed into how we can get to a solution at the end and one something we should be thinking about. And legal judgments, you know, you can write as many laws as you want, uh, but they have to be interpreted, and that's the job of the judges, the courts. And actually, how those are interpreted, it gives you some really interesting clues into the way that judges are thinking and the things that they're thinking about. And we need to be aware of those, and also we need to be aware of the limitations as well. So we need to know about risk management and how, risk, how you try and calculate risk, assess risks, and how you try and respond to them. So that's an important element as well. But also, um, Greg Moore did a great talk yesterday on the value of trees, and he was putting um, dollar values to them. And that's something else that has to be factored into the equation because it isn't just about uh, how much harm they can do. It's also a balancing act about the benefits that flow from having trees in our urban environment. Um, and I don't know how much this would apply as we move away from the UK, but this is an interesting point, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it in more detail later on. But the size of your land holding, so the duty holder, how much land they've got, makes a difference on the standard of the duty of care that's expected of you. It makes a difference on how much you're expected to do. Uh, it depends on, on how many, what resources you've got at your disposal, and we'll go through that in a bit more detail in a minute. So this is of crucial importance to try and work out a framework um, 
Occupancy is something which we will talk about. It's effectively very similar to targets, but it's uh, uh, how likely, uh, how, what's the potential for harm arising, how many people go near uh, the trees. We need, certainly need to think about that. Um, and then inspection types. There are issues with inspection, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail, but the level of inspection, so do you need to inspect at all? Is a quick visual check okay, or do you need more detailed inspections? And references. One of the, the, the mind-boggling things about the reports I've seen over the last few days is they're just cram-packed full of references, and most of them are just totally irrelevant. And, you know, there seems to be this mindset that the more references you put in a report, the more credible it is, just like the more complicated the, the, uh, the maths are, uh, the better it is. Uh, that's something that we need to think about. There are references which are really useful, but you just need to be careful about uh, how you use them, that's for sure. Um, and what we're trying to do is this duty holder is trying to get from there, uh, where, where we are now, across to there and try and take account of all of these issues which are going to affect uh, whether they get, get uh, you know, how they're going to uh, be treated when they get to court. Because that's what we want to know about, is am I going to get off if, it, if something goes wrong and it goes to court? Um, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's what we're going to try and sort of, I suppose, that's what I've been trying to do, and that gives you a sort of conceptual idea of, of the tasks that we have to do to try and analyse all of these things and pull it all together into a framework. And what we're trying to do is to sort of come up with a framework that the duty holder, the person that has the responsibility, can, can follow and actually then feel pretty safe or confident at the end that they're not going to be in trouble. Um, and just to set the scene quickly, and uh, Judy did a good job just sort of going over a, a few of the legal elements. Um, the duty holder, the, the tree keeper, um, or whatever, <laughs> I really like the phrase, it's so simple, um, is responsible, is personally responsible. It doesn't have to be the owner of the tree, it could be a, 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 an occupant, uh, a, a, a leaseholder. Uh, there's lots of technical complications with that. Um, Reasonableness uh, and foreseeability are issues that have to be factored in. Uh, to looking at this, and that's what's been completely missed out of the equation, and we'll talk about that later on. Common law, Judy went through that, but basically, uh, you know, if you uh, have failed to do something uh, or done something that's caused harm to others, then, then a civil action, you can take action against, uh, the action between the two parties, that's really what uh, common law is. Um, statute uh, law is a bit more specific, and it's usually for industrial situations, well, not usually, but can be for industrial situations where there's specific requirements, and health and safety is uh, one of those obvious, uh, obvious um, examples. And case law, uh, you know, the law is like, uh, is like a book that's already been written. Uh, it's just that it's all blurred, and we can't see most of it. Uh, and actually, what the case laws, uh, what the case laws and the judgments do for us is they shine a light on those, some of those bits, but there are so few bits where the lights have been shone uh, that uh, really we don't, uh, yeah, it, it's very difficult. Um, I think uh, we've already been through this and Neville uh, touched on it yesterday uh, quite well, but the levels of risk from trees are very low and that's important to, to factor into the equation. Um, and uh, generally, uh, in the UK, on average, there's roughly six deaths a year, 60 million people there, so it doesn't take too much to say that the overall risk is one in 10 million. And, and people who are trying to say, well, actually, you don't need to do much management to trees, we, should, we don't need to do anything. 
need to be, everybody needs to be aware that this is an overall risk and actually you can have localized much higher levels of risk. So you have a dead tree hanging over a road and it's not a one in 10 million, you can't get away with not doing that. So there's lots of, uh, you know, you just need to treat these stats with, uh, with, with some caution. And just to uh, set it into context is that, uh, you know, the risk of being killed by lightning in the UK is about one in 18 million. So they're pretty much the same. Uh, so it's a, a really low risk. Um, and then road accidents, as Neville said, 3,000 odd just under a year. So it works out to about 10 a day. So more people get killed in road accidents in a day than do by uh, tree failures in a whole year. So that just sets it into context. So it's very important to, to, to you know, to have that overview. Um, and uh, as I said, Greg did a great job yesterday of setting out a really good job. Uh, one of the things I've missed, and, and as we're thinking about um, tree benefits, because the health benefits particularly are so difficult to put value on, and yet actually they're some of the most important benefits. And in the UK, they're just taking, uh, they're just starting to significantly influence the way government's thinking, and certainly the national health uh, service. So, so tree benefits, and there's loads of them, and we can't uh, go through them all now. Um, but uh, basically, we're in a position where this isn't just a one-sided story. You know, there needs to be a balancing act done here. Uh, there are risks uh, um, from trees on one side for sure, but on the other side, there are massive benefits, and these have been undervalued uh, for a long, long time. And uh, what is really encouraging and enthusiastic is that we're starting to get to a position where the values are being truly appreciated, and we can use those in trying to put the case for, for, for more trees. Uh, which is really, you know, really encouraging if you're a tree enthusiast. Um, what is interesting, though, is they provide loads of benefits, but who pays for them? Uh, that's something to think about, and, and this is just a, an aside, really. But you've got the tree owner and the, uh, and the tree, and the benefits that flow from that uh, actually are multiple, as we've seen before. But there are local benefits, so shading, uh, that's, a, that's something that the tree owner gets a benefit from. Um, visual amenity as well, uh, and water uh, buffering. Then you start to go into the wider setting, so a bit, more, a bit further from the tree, and the community benefits. So there's visual amenity, because people down the road can see the tree, it makes the place look better, uh, and uh, generally, you know, that's a, a community benefit. So the benefits flow well beyond the jurisdiction of, of the tree owner, uh, into the wider environment, and, as, and, and we start to get into global benefits as well, where individual trees or the trees start to contribute to mitigating and adapting to climate change. So the interesting thing is that, that uh, the poor old owner uh, of the tree is responsible for all of the, uh, the, the, the legal responsibilities and for the maintenance of the tree, and the community uh, and the wider, uh, the, the, the wider community gets a lot of the benefits as well, and it just doesn't seem quite fair. But it's worth thinking about, and it's an interesting idea. Um, going back to the courts, it's worth uh, just, uh, just, there are two, two central tenets, I suppose, of, of English law, and they transfer across the whole of the world, that, uh, that need to be thought about, that actually we must consider when we're starting to think about this. And it's a rather obscure and archaic phrase, but the man on the Clapham omnibus is, is to how he thinks, what he would do, uh, how he would act in a certain situation is deemed to be um, what a reasonable person would do. And if you 
transfer that over to Australia, then I think we're in the, it will be the man on the Bondi tram. And uh, because somebody told me, I'm pretty sure it is, that the trams uh, in Sydney were, were out uh, of action in the 1950s. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. So it's going to be the man on the 308 bus now. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's what it is. And, and uh, this is uh, important because uh, what we're going to see at the end is it's not just the level of risk. It's actually what was reasonable. And... Um, these are interesting ideas, but the judges and the uh, judges and the courts are very interested in what's reasonable. In fact, more interested in what's reasonable, what a reasonable person would do, than actually being uh, have a, a you know figures just chucked in front of them and saying, well, you know, there was no need to do this. So this is a really important concept. The other one uh, that we need to think about is proportionality uh, as well, and this is a this runs through. Uh, the law, the way it's interpreted, and th the basic idea is that uh, that you know there will come a point when you can keep spending money, uh, and actually you get very little return for it. And the the requirement isn't that, from a safety co uh, point of view, the requirement isn't that you remove the risk completely. The requirement is that you take all reasonable precautions to reduce the risk uh, as to as low as low a level as possible. That's what the requirement's going to be. And the way that this applies uh, to tree management is in the uh, resources available to the duty holder. So if you have a large, it's just a simple example, but you have a large duty holder, this actually is in um, the park down by the Opera House. Uh, if you've got a large duty holder, then uh, the expectations of what they can do will be much greater because they've got more resources at their disposal than it will be for exactly the same tree in a private garden because a private homeowner is going to have nothing like the knowledge and the resources in terms of experience and money available. So the standard of duty of care, how you have to manage that tree in that situation is exactly the same tree as in that situation is actually quite a lot different. Now that's something that's reasonably hard to get your head around, but that's the way it is. And just in terms of a conceptualization of that, um, is as the land holding size goes upwards, and we have, uh, this has been set out in the law uh, in the UK, so this is backed up by um, case law that can be referenced. Uh, at the bottom, you've got just the ordinary guys like me and you with just a house and a few trees in it. Uh, and as you start going up to, to uh, local authorities who manage whole populations of trees, large estates, landowners, those sorts of people, then what happens is that the standard of the duty of care, what you have to do, actually raises for each of those. So this is so complicated, it, it would be easy if a tree owner had to do a fixed standard, uh, you know, that's all they had to do and we could set that out, it would be no problem. But it, that's not the way it is. It actually changes based on these things. Uh, and it's of fundamental importance because what it means is that if you are uh, a homeowner, uh, you may not have to actually get uh, an expert to come and inspect your trees. You could possibly do it yourself. And the expectation here is that, that if uh, you did um, inspect your trees yourself, you wouldn't be expected to be able to uh, identify complex or subtle defects. But you would be able to, uh, you would be, the expectation is likely to be that you would need to be able to identify pretty obvious things that were blatantly wrong that a reasonable person would be concerned about if they saw on their trees. And that's going to be the test. So big wounds like we've got on there, if you missed that, you 
could be vulnerable if something failed and you've ended up in court. Fungal brackets, you don't need to be that bright to work out. If you've got big brackets hanging out of the bottom of a tree, there's a problem with it. And that is something which uh, is going to be, uh, there's going to be an expectation to spot those sorts of things and dead branches. They're obvious things. So this is, this sort of proportionality thing follows through to the homeowner is going to be expected to see identify those sorts of things. But as we start to move over to the bigger landowners who've got more expertise available to them, then the expectation is, is, is much greater. And this tree here, from the outside, if you were looking at that, you'd, it would be very difficult for a lay person to look at that tree on the outside and, uh, uh, be, uh, and, and be able to spot that it was about to fail. Whereas, uh, a specialist, someone with training, with a bit more expertise, if they went up to the tree, which they should do, and just tap around, they'd pretty soon find that half of that was dead, and that would be a predictable failure. So the types of things that you're going to have to look for um, if, you're, if you're in the larger landholding side are going to be su subtler. They're going to be things like insect boreholes. You'd be expected to spot those, whereas a layperson wouldn't. Internal decay, like we've got here, you'd need to, there would be an expectation that you pick that up. And uh, dead twigs as well. You know, dead twigs we know are probably one of the prime indicators that there's something going wrong. But they're, they're not, unless you know about them, unless you've been trained, actually, it's not that obvious. Um, so that's something which, is, uh, which would be an expectation. Just, um, how much longer have we got? Oh, that's all right, that's good. Um, the, um, the other... There's lots of things that we need. It's like this landscape. We're just, I'm really just dipping into these just to give you a feel for the things that we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about um, whether the trees actually even need to be inspected at all. Do we even need to go there? And so the potential, uh, the hazard potential, the potential to cause harm is going to be based uh, primarily on the level of access and use. And we can just look at that as a, conceptually um, as, as those levels of use go up, so there's more people, more things that can be harmed then the potential hazard goes up. And what we have then is this sets out a hierarchy of, uh, of, of, uh, of locations and we start having highways where you can find people basically or property, parking, pedestrian and buildings. Those are locations where actually you start needing to be a bit careful. And then you've got at the bottom here, you've got other locations, so land with no formal access. And the key thing to take out of this diagram is that there is no line there that is a, a continuum and we don't know where that line is. Uh, and it's going to be the courts that set where that is on a case-by-case -case basis. And there are going to be instances, the implication of this is that there are instances where there's no need to inspect trees at all. And the beauty of this, from a proportionality point of view, is that you don't need to be a tree expert to identify those areas. And that's something that will factor into this overall um, framework for decision-making that we explore in a minute. Um, so something to think about. References. Um, you need to be really careful about references uh, because they can, uh, they're misused. They're just fantastic. As soon as I get a legal case and somebody has, uh, or another expert has started to quote loads of references, and, and the first thing I do is just look for how selectively they've used them. That's the first thing. And then just make sure that it's relevant. And then also, the best thing when you get into court is to shoot someone with their own arrow. Uh, so you pick the references out that they're using and you find something in that reference that stuffs them, basically. And that's exactly what you're looking for all the time. So you just need to be so careful. Anyway, that's just an aside. I shouldn't really be uh, telling you that. 
Um, <laughs> the, uh, but, you know, that, that references are so dangerous. And everybody thinks the more you've got in there, the more credible the report is. And it's just the absolute reverse. You know, references are like a little crutch for the people that don't have the experience to actually uh, make the decisions themselves. And uh, you need to be mindful of that. But when we get in the court, there are a number that crop up regularly. It's going to be different for you, but here's just a few of them quickly. Nelda and Jim's um, uh, uh, is, uh, is an obvious one because it was the first to set this out, and that's just great in terms of its being so easy to understand. Lonsdale, um, uh, no, sorry, Matek, the body language of uh, trees, is another one that's international and, you know, worth looking at. And uh, David Lonsdale's The Principles of Tree Management, these are based on it in England. Uh, another nifty little uh, uh, publication that you can download there um, from the Forestry Commission in England. These things crop up quite regularly because what they do is they provide you with technical clues or, or, or points that you can not quite hang your hat on completely, but you can certainly be confident that they're going to, uh, they're going to, um, they're going to stick in court. And uh, another one is, uh, is, for us in England, it doesn't matter, you, you'll have your own, but well-maintained highways is, is a, a, an important reference because it sets out that all highway trees should be inspected on a five-yearly, at least every five years. And that's, that's quite a powerful, it's a government-sponsored document. And to have that uh, written down actually starts to, starts to allow us to sort of put numbers, I suppose, to these very vague ideas. So if a highway authority has to inspect their trees every five years, and that's written down, then that's a good starting point. Um, and another one, which you'll have your own uh, over here, but this is uh, a health and safety executive have a sector information minute in, in England, which is called the management of trees. And this is really, really interesting because um, it sets out that where there are high levels of use, um, a quick visual check is all that's required uh, to be carried out by a person uh, with a working knowledge of trees, but who need not be an expert. Now, that is really quite important because it, it, it pulls in these threads of proportionality, is that, you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous for people to be thinking that they have to uh, uh, have a, an expert in to inspect all their trees, certainly in some instances, but a quick visual check is all that's required as a starting point and you only move forward from that quick visual check if there's anything which alerts you, concerns you and makes you feel uncomfortable. And that is, uh, you know, quite an important and powerful reference and something which, you know, in the courts, they don't have to um, abide by these references and they will be tempering them with the, 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 the society's requirements on, uh, on on what's reasonable and what's proportionate, but, but they will take account of them and how much weight they put on them is, is up to them. So these are important references. They're not absolute and they don't set it out uh, in stone, but they certainly make a very strong statement on what the expectation is, especially from a government um, body. So these are really quite important. Now, just to really try and sort of um, uh, tie it up, I suppose, before we get to the end, the legal judgments, the important thing is, as I said, is that very few cases ever go to court. And so we get very infrequent. I mean, there's been one, uh, there's five cases in the last five or six years. So it's basically one a year that we get a written judgment on. And those written judgments give you a bit of a glimpse into how the courts are thinking, what the judges are, are thinking about. And so they're quite important. I, I can't go into the detail of them and they'll be 
important pertinent points to pull out are in the article. But just to, it is a bit bizarre because we've got, um, we've got southern England here and the reason why only the southern bit of England's in is because we just don't have any uh, legal judgments or recent ones that actually go uh, further north. Um, but uh, uh, the ones which um, poll was uh, a pretty important, um, or not, it wasn't a very important case, but it was one that was well uh, publicized where uh, uh, an ash branch fell onto a motorcyclist and caused him serious harm. Uh, that was about um, tree inspector credentials and uh, it was a large estate and the conclusion there was is that actually the inspector didn't have sufficient credentials to do it and uh, that was quite an important uh, uh, point. Um, Selwyn Smith versus Gompels, this was where a whopping great tree fell on a garage and smashed it up um, and um, the uh, important thing in that that's worth looking at because the judge very usefully sets out this hierarchical approach to to the to landowner, uh, the size of your land owning, the size of your land owning, uh, your land holding, and the level of your responsibility. And one of the, the things that he came up with in here was uh, the other side were trying to argue that the tree owner, just a normal guy like me and you, um, he was, uh, he, the other side were trying to argue it's his tree that fell over. They were trying to say um, that um, he should have availed himself to publications and if he was going to inspect his trees himself uh, he should have had the various one of the publications the forestry commission one he should have downloaded and the judge said no actually that's disproportionate that's unreasonable to expect a ordinary homeowner to start downloading uh, documents or buying documents and actually you know starting to be able to see because the issue here was insect borer holes and uh, it, it, the judge decided that he, it would be unreasonable to expect him to see that. So you get, you get these little sort of glimpses into the way that the judiciary are going to think, and, and that starts, that's what we're looking for, for clues for that. Um, Atkins versus Scott, another one uh, where it was about credentials of, uh, of the tree inspectors. These guys, there were two uh, estate workers there who had 40 or 50 years of looking after the trees, and they didn't have a qualification between them. And uh, the judge still found that they had, and this is fundamentally important, that they had sufficient experience and expertise to be able to make the appropriate decisions. So you don't need to have fancy qualifications, and you, you know it's not going to be necessary. The courts are going to look at it on a reasonableness basis. Uh, so that's quite important. Um, Corker, this is um, one that our new president, where is he? There he is there, yeah, <laughs> Colin. That was one of Colin's, and uh, you won that, didn't you? Yep. There you go, you see. So, uh, and uh, amongst many, I have to say. So that was another one uh, that was a couple of years ago. And finally, um, we've got uh, Micklewright, where um, a guy, a branch fell off an oak tree. The guy was just getting out of his car uh, with, his, with his son to go for a bike ride in Windsor Park. A branch, pretty big branch, fell off an oak tree. And, uh, and unfortunately killed him. And these are desperately um, difficult things, you know, just so unlucky because if he'd been, you know, even a tenth of a second either way, because it was only the end of the branch that got him, it just whipped him. And, you know, these are things which are really desperate when you start seeing what the real impacts of these things are. So legal judgments, they're important to know about. We're not going to talk any more about them. But the, all of these things start to feed in. And what we're trying to do now is to try and sort of focus in on, on what can the duty holder, a framework for the duty holder, uh, the person responsible, what, can they, what are they going to have to do? And the inspection regime is, is what one of the things that we need to be thinking about. And the first part of that is frequency. So how often 
uh, the trees need to be inspected. Uh, that's something we need to think about. Uh, the nature of the check, so whether a quick visual check's okay, and, and according to the health and safety executive, then that is uh, actually probably going to be sufficient in most instances. And uh, inspector competence, how the credentials that you have. Okay, we've got 10 minutes. So one of the, the real problems that, that, that we have, I suppose, is, as, as arborists, because we're in trees and out, you know, we don't go in the court very much. And actually, it's not just us, because we do loads of talks to surveyors and other professionals, and actually, they don't understand how this works as well. And I, I think this is, I really just want to just go through this quickly. We haven't got a lot of time, but it's explained more in the paper. Um, but, you know, it's important to understand how the courts are going to look at these things when something breaks, when there's, a, when there's an accident, when there's an incident, and when, it, when there's a failure. And so I want to just talk quickly about negligence, which is, uh, you know, when you don't do something you should have done or you fail to do something. Uh, so you do something, you know, that a, that, that a reasonable person uh, wouldn't have done. Liability is who's to blame, effectively, who's going to pay the bill. That's the key thing. And acts of God, could it have been predicted? That's really what it means. We're talking to trying to simplify down these, these sort of technical, I suppose, difficult legal concepts. And so just try to, to give you a bit of a framework to think about this. And we've got to scoop through it, but it's worth thinking about. The first issue is whether the tree was checked or not. Um, the second sort of broad issue that the court are going to look at is was uh, the defect discoverable? Could you have seen uh, it if it was inspected? And the third uh, part of this table is, uh, is the duty holder, you, uh, the person responsible, going to be found liable or likely to be if you go to court? And there's two, uh, s two broad scenarios. First of all, was the tree checked or not? Yes or no. If it wasn't checked, a lot of people think, well, you didn't check the tree, you've been negligent, tough luck, my boy, your you know, liability is going to flow to you. And that isn't actually the case, because the issue is more complicated. Um, the first uh, strand of that is, well, you didn't bother checking the, checking the tree, so if, if there was a requirement to check, then you've been uh, irresponsible, you've been negligent. But if there was a discoverable defect there and you didn't check the tree, then I think you know the answer is yes, you're going to be liable. If there wasn't a discoverable defect there, then it doesn't matter. Well, if the tree had been inspected, nothing would have been done anyway, so you're not going to be liable. In the scenario at the bottom, you inspected the tree, so you did what a prudent person would do, what a reasonable person would do. No discoverable defect. Uh, you didn't see anything. Well, you're uh, not going to be liable, and so that, that, that's quite important. Um, the other scenario is you check the tree, um, there was a discoverable defect, but actually you didn't do anything about it, are you going to be liable? Uh, that is, I, 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 we haven't got time to talk that through because actually it's quite a complex idea, but, but it's in the paper and it's worth uh, looking at. So basically, um, that's, uh, you're going to be definitely be liable if there was a discoverable defect and you didn't do anything about it, then you're going to be in trouble. And this scenario here is you may be able to transfer that liability on because we're talking about duty holders. So if you had someone else to inspect it, you, could be able to, you might be able to blame them if they didn't spot the defect. So that's something to think about. Um, what we're working towards uh, to try and tie up now is a framework uh, for duty holders in terms of, uh, of decision making, what the expectation going to be. 
And we've set this out into three stages. The first stage um, is that, you, and the beauty of this is you don't need to have any tree expertise at all uh, to do this. So landowners can sit down, they can work out where uh, the, uh, the highest levels of access are and what the, effectively what the hazard potential is of situation. If the, the access levels or the potential hazard is low, then you don't have to even go there. You don't even have to go and look at the tree. Uh, and if you do do that, you can't just forget about it. You have to reassess on a regular basis. So you can't just do this once and then think you've met your duty of care because you'll be in trouble because things change. The other side of the story is if there's a high level of access, and this, the definition set out by the, the health and safety executive uh, reference that we used, then you need to do, or the odds are that you're going to need to do a visual check. And you don't have, the requirement isn't a complex, detailed inspection. It's a quick visual check. It's all that you're going to be expected to do. Um, and there's going to be a number of outcomes that could arise from that. No remedial works needed, so you don't need to do anything else. Or you see something, you're not happy about it, and you know what needs to be done. You need to take that branch off or reduce the tree or whatever, uh, and those works are done. If the visual check reveals things that you're not sure about, so you think, well, oh, I'm not sure about that, maybe we need a bit more information, then that's when the requirement for a more detailed inspection is going to kick in. Um, and the, the outcomes from that, the detailed inspection identifies work and it, it's done, or it says, well, actually, we've looked at it, there's no problem there, and we don't need to do any more work. And again, you've got this, it doesn't stop by you doing it once. It's an ongoing uh, commitment, so you need, this has to be factored into the equation. Um, just where we're going to go, future developments, there's a whole range of things coming along, because this is a moving feast, you know, this is changing on a daily basis. That Neville mentioned yesterday, National Tree uh, Safety Group, uh, ntsg.org.uk, download it, have a look at it. It will be published in the next few weeks, and that is a very interesting document. Not necessarily I'm going to agree with it all, but it's going to be uh, worth seeing. The other thing is that ISA are working on a, a BMP, a best management practice, um, which focuses on tree inspections, and it, it actually is very good on the practical side of things. So I think that will be ready uh, towards the end of this year, so that's well worth looking at. And this paper which you have uh, is a slightly altered version to the paper which will be published uh, in the ARB Journal, a peer-reviewed uh, paper uh, in the next few months. So this will be published at some stage, and that's what I'm talking to you about today. Um, just uh, how, how much time have we got now? Minutes? All right, four minutes. We have to do this really quick. Um, the, um, just what are the implications of what, what we've been saying here um, is just quickly have a look at it. This is a, a path not that well used, although it's metalled, uh, public access. You've got a tree next to it, relatively, uh, so this is actually a case, relatively uh, small branches on it, and you can see there's one there. One there was pruned off, so what happens is you have an accident. Branch fell on, uh, fell on a woman and caused severe harm. So this is another one of those small branches. Uh, obviously, the, guy, the owners came in and chopped everything off pretty quick. That's what happens. Um, and that one's been cut off, but that was the one that fell off. And you can see there's no woundwood growth around that. So it's like you have to be a little CSI, you know, crime scene investigator to get this worked out. There's the branch. This isn't a big branch, and it caused serious uh, harm, serious injury. Um, and the issue here uh, is that this w is unlikely to have been picked up if you were using a quantitative approach to it and just uh, it could have easily fallen below the 1 in 10,000 threshold. So small branches can often cause harm and, and you know that causes me concern because 
That, you know, we're not told that, basically. The level of risk is clearly important. So we're not saying you don't, level of risk doesn't matter, but there are other things to think about. When it gets to court, uh, you know, we can sit here in our little worlds and think, yeah, level of risk is the be-all and end-all, but actually, when it gets to court, reasonableness and proportionality are going to be the things that rule the day, and they can trump level of risk. Everybody should be really aware of that. And I think, there, you know, the message to get across is that there's more to this than just numbers. Everybody's been focused on the detail and actually missed the broader picture. And um, so if you've, uh, if you've been... Um, if you're out there uh, and you're thinking about taking up tree consulting and going out and advising people, then obviously I think you need to be pretty careful uh, and be very cautious about the one in 10,000 figure because you may not be safe uh, if you rely on it when it gets to court. Nobody knows yet because we haven't had a court case. That's the beauty of it. So this is like a warning. Um, and if, um, if you're uh, the, those people in the audience who've been writing reports and relying on the one to 10,000, so anything... Uh, less than one to 10,000, no, you don't need to do anything, then, uh, and I just need to light this if I can. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Then, uh, <laughs> then, um, then, and I don't, is Graham McMahon here? No, he's, Graham? Ah, oh, that's terrible, right, because I wanted Graham to say this. Graham had a great, uh, a great ending to uh, one of his talks, and he said, uh, and he said, you know what's going to happen next, don't you? Thank you very much. <laughs> this concludes Jeremy Barrell's talk, The Emerging Position on Tree Hazards in England. If you would like to learn more about tree risk assessment, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the new Tree Risk Assessment Best Management Practice, as well as the Online Learning Center course on risk assessment. If you'd like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for the quiz is SA7825. Again, SA7825. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees you know we can, work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.